0: Hi, I'm James McConaughey. And I'm Andrew Wycliffe. I'm Brendan Pollack. This is Podcast 60 on the Sunset Strip. Don't endow the thing with special powers, Matt. It's a clock, okay? Come on. I still haven't decided what... As of this recording, I still haven't decided what clip I'm going to put um, at the beginning. I feel like... I f- uh, let's see. Maybe the...
1: It's got to be the musical.
0: I want that... I, I think that's got to be yeah. at the end. I, w- I, think, I, I think I want... Yeah. It's just a clock. Don't imbue it with special meaning.
1: Yeah, that's what I was
2: going to say. I was, uh, was going to go with the... Uh, how did it know how long it
0: was? Yeah. It's a clock. <laughs> okay, so... Um, this, is our, this is our second episode of the podcast. We're talking about the second episode of the show, which is called The Cold Open... Um which is the, the
2: thing that classically comes second, the cold open.
0: Yeah, you, you know, those that everyone remember all those famous X Files cold opens where they played the theme song and then had someone get away. Ki- oh, yeah. Um Alright,
2: well let's uh let's dig into this one.
0: Yeah, it's it So This episode opens really abruptly, actually, so it's kind of hard to just... I feel like describing it, I'm making it sound more abrupt than it is, but it really just opens on this press conference.
2: Yeah, it just kind of starts out on the press conference with... Like, there's a... I don't know if it's just, like, the version of the episode I was watching or, like, whatever, but it's it's like... Two two second. uh, Here's the title card and a little like three notes of the theme song, and then just press conference.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's what they're doing on the DVDs.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't. I don't. So. Go on.
2: So we got Jordan uh, McGarry. Yeah, Jordan McGarrys—that's her name. Where is? McDear. McDear McGarrys. McGarrys. A West Wing character. Ah. uh, so she's given a a press conference to uh, the gathered news media, who are excited to hear about her first day as the president of TV. Uh, an event which I don't think I've ever actually seen happen in in reality. Has anyone ever cared about who the new president of TV at a network is, outside of
0: the people who work for that network? I, I was I just have in my notes that like. They, they're introducing the new, like, head writer and head producer for our SNL analog. I'm like, I couldn't tell you who writes for SNL. Yeah,
1: yeah except this would be the equivalent of Tati Wakaki, or whatever his name is, going and doing TV. Because mm. Matt Perry just won an award.
0: Oh yeah, Taika Waititi. Okay, that's what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. He did
1: just win... Was that a Writer's
0: Guild Award he won
1: in the last episode? It was a writer's yeah, a WGA guild, WGA so war. he would have been nominated for something else. Like, he would have been Oscar nominated to be a WGA winner.
0: Yeah. He,
2: he, he wrote a screenplay that. about uh, Tesla, I remember from the last episode somehow.
1: It, that's the new one, though. We don't actually oh, no, know. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Was about.
0: Didn't they okay. make, did they make a movie about Tesla recently, or did I imagine that?
1: They did. Um, I feel At like they're always one,
0: possibly making one. Two. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, don't know. I don't know how I feel about previously ons in general, and I especially don't know how how I feel about them in DVD seasons because, like, on TV, you'd be like, okay, maybe they actually didn't watch the last episode, but on the DVD, it's just like it's right there. I, I can watch it. So, but I do feel like this is a really abrupt opening because she's just because we we just get like as Ryan said those two seconds of the of the like opening theme song and then we're just standing there and she's like hi I'm the new president of television you're here to talk with me about the, the shit that went down at the at our at Studio 60 and that's it they're just there talking about it
2: yeah uh I don't really like I don't know if a previously on is what they needed maybe just like an establishing shot because there really Mm. isn't there's not a lot of like plot to summarize or like a recap and in fact most of that plot most of that recap actually ends up happening in this uh, press conference anyway because Jordan's up there like hey I'm the president and now I'm going to let you talk to our new writer and producer uh and that's the entire plot of the pilot <laughs> is that she becomes the president and they become the writer and producer so
0: yeah they're they're just they're just talking about I'm trying to remember the exact order of events like they they she she talks about what happened she wheels them out I feel like at some point like early in the press conference um Danny says yeah I got caught doing blow what about it
2: yeah he just sort of comes out and says it there's like this big like they're all having a good time and laughing and making jokes and then he just like has this glazed look on his face and and then just like blurts out hey I did I did coke Um, (laughs) I got arrested or not arrested I got caught doing cocaine um and this is like this begins the um like this is, like, one of the weird... Another weird, like, Aaron Sorkin uh, self-insert fanfictiony things where it's, like, he really just wants everyone to, like... Like, Matt gets caught doing cocaine and then he just, like, tells everyone that he does it and he's honest about it and then, like, everyone just moves on and it, like, very much feels like a... Like Aaron Sorkin is just being like, Why can't this happen to me? Why doesn't everyone just let me go? Why did they why are they still mad at me for doing drugs?
0: Why can't I just move on? I mean, there's definitely a lot. There's definitely a lot of self insert around both Matt and Danny. Um I'm not I'm trying to remember the details of Aaron Sorkin's getting caught. I feel like he also he did actually get arrested.
1: Yeah, he was. Yeah, in, yeah. he was. <clears throat> I'm sorry, yeah, he, was he got caught
2: going through an airport.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, I feel like there's also sort of like him trying to soften it, like frame it as a personal failing, which I guess it theoretically is. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel. Danny is such an underwritten character that he just... Like, Matt, for all of his flaws, does feel like a fully realized human. Um, A very badly written fully realized human, but never mind. But, like... (laughs) Yeah. But Danny is so underwritten that it's so hard for me to see him as anything but a Sorkin analog. At least at this point in the series. I don't remember if they get more fleshed out as the show goes on.
2: I He kind of does later because he's got like a, he's got a romantic arc with jordan and that sort of fleshes him out but i i don't remember there being a lot oh. uh in that
0: i've been stud fastly refusing to watch ahead
2: yeah uh, i'm just remembering this from the last time several years ago that i watched it so um uh-huh. uh. Yeah, I just, like, I know that there is a thing that happens with him, so I assume that that is, like, you know, a a good writer would use that as an opportunity to flesh his character out. So I'm going to assume that that happens, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll find out how wrong I am.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, this press conference goes on for a weird amount of time, but I feel like I don't recall much information being...
2: But there's only, there's really only two things that happen in it uh the first being that matt just blurts out that he did the drugs uh he did one drugs please uh and then the second one is um uh, another entry into my my, re- my cataloging of things Ar- things aaron sorkin does where he shows how much just disdain he has for the middle of the country and how much he thinks he is how much he thinks he is a coastal elite, and how that is a real thing. Oh yeah, there's. Uh, but yeah, there's the the lady from um, Rapture Rapture magazine who tells uh, who has a quote from a person in Toluca Lake uh, who tells uh, Jordan that they're they're mad about crazy Christians, and <laughs> uh, the, the the three of them are just fucking beside themselves that they need to give a shit about this idiot from toluca lake (laughs) there's there's i mean like go ahead it's like on the one hand like uh, this like i wouldn't give a shit what this person is what this person thinks but i also like sorkin seems to be presenting that like the reason you can just dismiss what this person thinks is because they're from some small town Mm -hmm. uh and not because their ideas are just like fuck nuts crazy um i mean i guess he does get a little bit into that because he makes fun of uh rapture magazine but he also you know hates anyone who is religious so that's another just thing on the list of weird weird shit that sorkin keeps writing about in his fanfics
0: i'm sorry you had something to say andrew no (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, i was gonna mention there's a there's a bit later on like which I noted because it's in my notes someplace where it's just like they spend a minute, like a full minute of the show, just talking about how annoying it is that bloggers exist.
2: Which is oh yeah, that's a that's a that's a reoccurring theme in Sorkin's work. Uh, God, I I hate how much I know about his writing style and his like reoccurring tropes. <laughs> Which, but you, you know, I, I, I complain I about at least...
0: I complain about the internet existing a lot too because. You know, all of it. But still. Yeah. I, I hope you
2: can't hear that car line that's going off in the back around. Uh, um, no, I can't hear it. But anyway, um. Uh, yeah, at least once in every Aaron Sorkin TV show, a character has the same conversation that happens in this one, where they read something on the internet and then, like, just f- go off about, why the fuck do I need to care about... uh. You know joe schmoe from internet and they're, mm-hmm. they're they're mad about they're mad about he's mad about people having opinions about his work because they're the wrong opinions <laughs> and even like in this in studio 60 he goes off on like how like uh i forget which character it is it's it's one of the actors um he's like he basically says, uh, the only people that should be critiquing my work are the New York Times. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you're just. No,
1: what he says is that the New York Times is going to quote the blogger. Oh, he and that's says has got to care like... about it. And then it's kind of got this weird prescience about the New York Times busting their ass to do fake both That <laughs> That
0: is. I mean, to be a little more fair like I feel like we we got off. we are trying to be a little more fair. We do have our Aaron Sorkin defender here mm-hmm. um uh i I do feel like the premise of this episode, like an episode about just about writing um the epis- an episode of live t v would be an interesting concept. I just also feel like it gets really bogged down a lot of stuff
2: yeah it's there's like there's just like a ton of little half baked thoughts going on here. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, he. Um, he uh, Andrew is right. He does. He, he, they do mention how, like, this writer is going to be quoted by the New York Times, and that's why I have to care about her. It's like, well, I think that I'd rather have the yeah, New York that's, Times that's quoting right. this person than Brett Stevens. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that's fair.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's like, this whole there's just, just like this whole underlying like elitism in so much of his stuff where it's like he doesn't he he's mad because you're right i was misremembering how the how the conversation goes but it's, yeah he's mad that it's going to end up in the new york times and that's going to make it real like it's not real that people have opinions until it's in the paper of record so you know
1: yeah i mean like if we want to hit on it we should hit on the what is it simon is like saying she's overweight or something like she's got a freezer full of jenny craig like there's so much and have we already had the bill cosby reference there's like there's so much there's like that comes in at the end oh it's cringe (laughs)
2: but yeah yeah he go ahead
0: there's, there's, like, three references to Bill Cosby in this show alone, and it's just, like, whew, that aged very badly. And I, and, <laughs> and I know that—I conceptually know in my head that, like, Bill Cosby was really important as a comedian for a very long time. Like, the, I was watching The Simpsons earlier today, and they mention— in like one of the special features like this episode of the simpsons was the first time the simpsons ever beat the cosby show on ratings and that was important so i know in my head that he was an important comedian but i never experienced him that way
2: yeah and it's also uh worth pointing out that like even though the the general public didn't know about cosby at this point Cosby being a sex pest uh, was an open secret in the like showbiz community basically well, the entire time.
0: Well, not only that, at this so, point in his career, he had sort of gone from being like beloved family entertainer to being kind of cranky old man who just yelled at black people all the time. Like, that was my, fir- my first exposure to him in the media was a recurring bit in the boondocks where they made fun of him for being angry all the time. That's the comic strip, not the show. So, I don't know. I'm trying to look through my notes to see if I can yeah. find where they make the Cosby references. I do have this note that Rapture Magazine apparently has four times the circulation of Vanity Fair.
2: Yeah, they also spend a lot of time, like, just, ma- just fucking dunking on the Rapture Magazine people. Uh, and, like just being, like, characters being confused about the concept of the Sure, like, as a, just in general, uh, which, you know, it's, uh, whatever.
1: I mean, he's Jewish, in theory, you know, I don't know.
0: I, I, I don't know, my partner is Jewish, and they've never been, like, I've known them since high school, and they've never been confused about the weird beliefs. Like, okay, maybe not confused is the wrong word. They've often been like, why do people believe that? But more like they've never not known the weird beliefs that American Christians have.
1: It it seems really unlikely that, um, what is it? The, I don't even know what Steven Weber's title is. It doesn't make sense. But that he wouldn't be aware of this. It's like, what did he learn at... He didn't take comparative religions at undergrad or something. Like,
2: yeah, it, it. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, you in a TV show you have to like, there is like a little bit where you have to like make your characters, uh, stupider than they should be, like, just for the sake of like you need them to have things explained to them so that you can actually have the things explained to the audience but it's like yeah no one like it, as as saturated as american culture is with christianity no one is going to be the uh you know mm-hmm. vague, vague head of um a tv network without like some idea of what's going on in it.
1: I mean, it's what, 2006. When did Republicans just come out and say that they want a thermonuclear war in the Middle East so they can go to heaven and the rest of us can go to hell? Like that was around that time. That it, was around Sarah Payne. This, this was around that point. Yeah. So the the evolution
0: Supreme Court case was around this point. Um this this is this is all a very specific moment in american history
1: and it's it's like sorkin's he's trying to placate to vanity fair christian democrats but he doesn't know how because he doesn't know any because they're like there aren't any like that's silly of course <laughs> there aren't like they all voted for Trump. Like, no, there aren't any, like, secret, great... Like, Hillary... Or Harriet Myers is fiction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Harriet Myers is... We'll, we'll get to her. She doesn't actually do a whole lot in this episode. But I just... The two characters who I feel like are the most underserved by Sorkin's perspective are... um Harry, Are... Uh, Harriet Myers, which is Sarah Paulson... Harriet Hayes, sorry, according to the internet. Harriet Hayes,
1: I'm sorry. It's all right.
0: Um, Sarah Paulson's character and D.L. Hewley's character, because they both have conceptually interesting characters that just do not get the service they need.
2: Yeah, because he has no idea how to write someone who isn't in some way him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like this one, I was... They have the scene with... They introduce Jeannie, who is somebody who theoretically was in the background of the pilot and we didn't meet her in the episode because they hadn't decided they actually needed her yet. But we get this whole subplot about Matt having a friend with benefits and we... Yeah, so she's Harriet's close friend, but Matt's occasional lover. Sorry, I'm reading off Wikipedia. But... Because um, <laughs> I needed to know her name. I couldn't remember Ada Field's name because she did this in one other show and retired. But... Um, yeah, the scenes with her and um, Sarah Paulson, you're just kind of like, hmm, so he didn't actually... Care about a female audience with this? Like, it opens with Jordan McDear saying, "Yeah, you know, it's not really a big deal to be a woman who's running a network. Like, I just want to do something good. Like, man or woman, we just want to do something good." And it's kind of like, mm, mm, "This this didn't age well either." Like, I,
0: I have this note. Yeah, and the I have this note from their Genie like first introduced. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I think we're talking about the same scene. Like the I have this note that just says. <laughs> Um, it's just a quote from them. I want my body to look like yours. I want my talent mm, to look yep. like yours. Like, dude, who talks yeah. this way? <laughs> yeah, Genie is
2: introduced by being objectified. Uh, which, it, it's, it's but of by course... by a woman. So it's yeah, okay. it's okay. Exactly. It's okay because a woman uh, said the words. Uh, a man wrote the words. But a woman said them, so that makes it okay. She's introduced by being objectified. And then... That scene ends with her walking out of the room and the camera just like follows her ass out and it's like did we need that? <laughs> Come obviously, on. Obviously, obviously. It's like in case like maybe you didn't believe Sarah Paulson when she said, "I want your body." So, we're going to show it to you.
0: <laughs> well, no, when Sarah Paulson like, okay. Sarah Paulson's original read on the line was, "I want your body," and that just sort of went in a very different direction. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that that subplot with Sarah Paulson and Jeannie does wrap up with one of my favorite moments of the episode when uh, they so they have this um, drama where Sarah Paulson's mad because she found out that Jeannie and Matt are sl- uh, sleeping together but then uh, somehow it's all made okay when she finds out that they're just friends with benefits and not uh, dating. I guess I don't really understand how that why that makes a difference, but she seems Sarah Paulson seems to be happy with it. But anyway, Jeannie comes to apologize to Sarah Paulson and Sarah Paulson just grabs a um, one of the prop bottles and slams it across her head and breaks the <laughs> sugar glass across her head and it's it's a good moment. That's a great that's a great physical gag. Just, it is
0: and it and it also feels vaguely authentic like i've known actors who would do jokes like that like behind backstage or whatever but i don't know yeah it's, it's it's a weird subplot especially since it doesn't really matter yeah it 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 gets very like confusingly
2: resolved in a way that isn't clear why it matters and then they just move on from it
0: well, we, we got uh, we uh, we we were discussing before we started like should we have a structure? We've already gotten wildly off topic.
2: Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're we we didn't follow the plot at all, so eh, that's fine. All um, right, uh, so there is uh, I guess uh, I would the next the, another thing I wanted to mention since we were on the subject of characters that were written poorly, the DL Hughley subplot uh, this episode. Oof, I like. It feels so like it's going nowhere for a long time, but I actually, like, I think it kind of works at the end. Uh, so basically, uh, there's this kind of, like, tension between D.L. Hughley and um, and Bradley Whitford, uh, oh. whose character name has escaped me. Uh, Danny. Uh, there's this, um, like, tension between them where, like, Dio Hughley thinks that Bradley Whitford is gonna get rid of him because uh, like he doesn't know he like the other the old writers don't really like him because they don't know how to write for him and he thinks that Danny is mad at him because he didn't leave the show with him and it like it's just just kind of like very I don't know it feels like a very human interaction where it's like hey I've made up all these reasons that I think you don't like me, and then he, Danny's just like, "No, it's fine. That's a, that's a thing that's hap- that happens to me a lot. I've made up all these reasons I think you don't like me."
0: <laughs> I mean, like, so if we're going to take the Studio 60 as SNL analog to its logical conclusion. Then there could be something kind of trenchant there in the way SNL consistently treats its black actors like shit, and its women and its yeah and non white actors and non straight actors and what is
1: he? Dale Hughley's worried about his job because he can't do voices. Mm-hmm, he can't he can't do like a Bill Cosby impression. Mm-hmm. And that's the last Cosby reference in the episode, but it's just like
0: to be fair, it's a terrible Cosby I, impression. It is a terrible Cosby impression. It is. Go on, sorry. I
1: don't know. No, just would that really be a concern that you're doing Bill Cosby impressions with your one black actor in two, uh, 2006?
0: Do they introduce another black character at some point? I feel like they do.
1: They do, but he's not an actor. He's a writer. Okay, That's, that's going to be one hell of an episode to talk about Oof. when you want to talk about Aaron Sorkin writing people who aren't.
0: Him. Yeah, I like I feel like I'm being nice this episode because I do like the internal the actual the actual thrust of the narrative is theoretically that they have to write that they're like, oh shit, suddenly we have to write an episode and that's that's something I can relate to. But then it's just like they they, they have this structure where it's like Monday, they're doing all this stuff, Tuesday they're doing all this stuff, and then they switch immediately to Friday, I'm like what happened to Wednesday and Thursday, yeah. dudes? Well, they, it's
2: like the... They, there's, a, there's a throwaway line where uh, Matt is in the writer's room. It's like the first time you see him in the writer's room working. And he's, he's mad at all the other writers because none of their ideas are any good. And then he says, like... It, it's like a throwaway line where he's like, Well, if we can just get the opening, everything else will come. And then... That ends up being the plot of the episode. Is well, they figure out the opening, and then everything else just magically happens. We we figure it out on Tuesday, and then it's Friday, and everything's there.
1: Oh yeah, I actually screenshotted that so we could go through the uh, the uh... sketches if we want to. Because <laughs> oh god, yes, 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 yes. yes please it. share it in the Discord. The don't act. Okay. here we go. Let me drag it over. Yeah, because it's i saw it and i was like oh they actually do reference this stuff i totally assumed they skip over it and they also when they're walking into the terribly established um studio they have the uh, marquee that says rob reiner is going to be hosting next week and that's what he does he hosts next episode and but yeah so the sketches are the sketch breakdown uh, yeah, it's concerning. Those are some, those so, are some right.
0: short sketches. So, all right, so we
2: got very model that our op- cold open, uh, monologue, Centaur the Courier, commercial break one, Crazy Christians. And we got our first commercial, Jamaican Crazy Jamaican Barbecue Christian. Hut, <laughs> Jamaican Barbecue Hut, commercial break two. 70s family mannequin robinson ballerina tryouts Robin.
0: <laughs> Can't. something LA opera cor- yeah oh is that the second uh, oh that's that something about that that would the, be the you know, musical guest again
1: second musical act I like how much thought we're putting into this um U60 <laughs> Madonna in see the other thing is with the commercial breaks like these don't make any sense
0: well like one of the one of the problems that I think SNL has or I haven't watched SNL since the outbreak so I don't actually know if the at home sketches are any good, but one of the I feel like these are really short sketches because I feel like one of the problems yeah, SNL problem. has right now is that like every single sketch, even the good ones are like, dude, cut a minute off that. They're they're so long, but these seem like these are a lot of sketches. Shoulder parrots beating up Rudy. God, I hope that's Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, i beat up Rudy Giuliani. Happy Town. So
1: they're a Shoulder parrot. Dig Dem Sum. Oh, yeah. Uh, Asian right. joke with uh, Marky Marquez starring. That's great. Oof. Oof.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Remember, I, I do... This did sort of
0: make me nostalgic... For that, like, period between, like, 2006 and seven to, like, I want to say, like, right after The Fighter, like, 2013 or 14, where you could just say, this movie has Mark Wahlberg in it, and people would be like, okay, that's a movie, as opposed to immediately starting to laugh. <laughs> Not that I ever think that we should have ever taken I don't know Mark why anyone really didn't just... Yeah, I, I don't know why we just had that period, but it was this, like, weird period. It was like, okay, Mark Wahlberg's in this movie. Okay, I can accept that he, he this was us. sort of
1: his peak, right? He had a lot of vehicles. He was in The Departed. Yeah, The Departed was like
0: when everyone's like, okay, we can have Mark Wahlberg be in movies again. And then, because he was good in Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is still a great movie. Um, And then, like, after The Fighter, I don't know, like, maybe it was just him doing the Transformers movies or, like, that one movie where he solved the Boston Marathon bombing but it was just like, we just decided, like, nope, we're done with Mark Wahlberg. We are done taking him seriously as a person.
1: I, I don't know, that's kind of a coastal elite thing, because he makes movies for, you know, Middle America hero, hero <laughs> white man movies. He, he makes movies for Boston! <sighs> the, Boston
0: is Middle America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got all the same problems. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where people are like, you you coastal elites don't know what it's like to live in a crime-ridden town. Like, I lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut for, like, three years, dude. Right. <laughs> Most murders <laughs> per capita coast. of any city in the country. Come on.
1: But, yeah, so it's like, censure the Courier, Curi- that sounds terrible. Crazy Christians was supposed to open the episode. That's what she promises them at the end of last episode, and it doesn't. Um, we we never see any of these like. Did they misspell
0: Jamaican? They might have. Uh, yeah, I think they spelled Jamaican. No, I yeah, think they, they did. Yeah. They're making. They're they they making do Madonna, to have written Jamaican. They're apparently making Madonna jokes in 2006, mm. which that's timely.
1: Yeah, Julia Child's child. That sounds great. So. This is just really weird, because in theory, Matt wrote all of these, and they're great. And then over on the side, we have Matador, Bank Teller and Vacuum Championship, 10th grade. I mean, I, I get why they didn't hold this shot much longer, because this is not the cutting edge of comedy. Well, it's also like,
0: if I'm being fair, and I am trying to be fair, if you describe a lot of snl sketches in like a lot of the classic snl sketches in like one or two words they will sound really stupid like yeah that's true like if you actually describe the wayne's world sketches at their most base elements they sound really stupid but they're funny so i don't know
2: I, i i noticed that uh so okay so earlier in that the scene where matt's in the writing writer's room Every single pitch, every single uh, sketch that gets pitched to him, is about George W. Bush, and he keeps batting them all down. And I notice on his final board, there is not one George W. Bush sketch.
0: I mean, that was SNL in 2006. Yeah. Hell, that was that was just TV comedy in 2006. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah. We'll have to keep our eye out to see if he ever comes back. The um, Nat Cordry playing him. Oh yeah, there was. But uh. There was one
0: writer who seemed like. Do I know
1: that actor? Yeah, there are a couple in that room who. Uh, one of the guys, with, in the, on the other side of the table with the glasses, he looked real familiar.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I it could be. I feel like. I feel like my memory my memories of the series are vague outside of some like specific moments, but I feel like I remember like part of what made it funny was that Matt was basically doing all the writing
2: yeah, yeah. and i I thought I that mean, was this episode where he fires all the writers, uh but instead he just yells at them, he gets mad at them for not dressing appropriately uh and then in the next scene he's uh dressed. Exactly. He's no longer dressed in a suit and tie. He's dressed down like they are. Yeah, I
0: feel like they intended that to be like an out-of-character thing for him to do, but it did not land at all. Yeah. No.
1: uh, I think some of that's just that the pilot did such a bad job of establishing him and Bradley Whitford that this episode really felt like more of a showcase of Matt Perry getting his drama lessons in between this and the pilot shooting
0: I mean there's also the fact that a lot of really good I mean again I'm being trying to be fair that a lot of really good shows or shows that I really like like Seinfeld or Scrubs like they had their pilot and then they had their next episode and that's where they started to actually get a feel for like because you know in the first episode of Seinfeld like Elaine's not there. Kramer is called Kessler for some reason. Um, I think because they had a fight (laughs) with the actual Kramer. Um, Like, there's, you know, there's just stuff that doesn't fit with how you know the series. So I'm willing to forgive that. Like, the second episode being a repilot, basically.
1: Yeah.
2: And I mean, like, there's there's also a lot of shows where, like, just the entire first season is that. Like, um, The American Office and Parks and Rec. The, buffy they don't yeah they don't find their feet until the second season and the first season is just like it is it is just a totally different show uh and so it's you know it's it is like you know you gotta wonder like if this if studio 60 made it to a second season what would it even still be the
0: same show in the second season well i mean that's one of the yeah and I might have said this last week, and I'll probably end up repeating my this this concept a lot. But part of what I find fascinating about single season shows is they never get to be anything else. Yeah. But. And. Go ahead.
1: Sorry.
0: I go, no, you go ahead. I'm have to find. I, I to find just, something in my notes.
1: I was just gonna. Okay. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead, but we're going to get to see this show try reinventing itself twice before NBC canceled it and they just did whatever they wanted for the last, what, seven? Because, I mean, they were canceled before episode 13. So they finished, they burned out the season, but he knew that they weren't coming
0: back. Mm-hmm. Okay, here it is. So part of that rant. Um, about how the dra- writers aren't dressed properly is his complaint. Is this show decides what's cool, mm-hmm. which given what the one sketch from this show that we do see. Oh boy, <laughs> it's, uh... I don't like. I don't
2: think that's even been like ever been true of like any show. Like oh god, like, even no. like a like a like maybe um, the simpsons maybe saturday night yeah maybe like like saturday night live in its prime never cool
0: funny but not cool like the i i was actually watching like some old snl clips uh earlier this week because i do that sometimes and i was trying to find like the thought i had about the cuz obviously i think part of the problem like i'm looking at this this, like, list of sketches that they have for the episode. And I was trying to find out, like... Because something about him shooting down all the Bush, um, concepts sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And I finally found, like, the SNL clip that I was thinking of that made me think, like, SNL would actually do that even at its prime. And it's this really, really dark sketch from, like, right at the beginning of SNL where... Um, Chevy Chase reads out this absolutely glowing letter Nixon wrote about um, Francisco Franco over news footage of what a nightmarish fascist he was (laughs) holy fuck that's awesome (laughs) I love that (laughs)
2: that's a great sketch
0: (laughs) yeah so I was like uh, of course SNL would go after Bush that's what they did yeah and they would have been right to do it
1: but they weren't. They didn't go after him in the same way. No. They didn't go after any of them. I mean, I I feel like growing up, I heard that the first two seasons of an SNL were good, and Eddie Murphy was great on it. But otherwise, nobody was ever like impressed with SNL. Like, A- <laughs> SNL was genuinely. No, it was the always,
2: thing. It? Yeah, go
0: ahead. Sorry. I... SNL was
2: always. Know, SNL was always better in the past. No matter who you talk to, there's it's always the like. Everyone always thinks the the first season that they saw is peak SNL. Yeah, I mean... Or, it, you know, whatever, whatever it was when you were a kid,
0: that's the best. There, there were moments when it was more dangerous than it is now, like that moment that I just mentioned. But outside of, like, the first two seasons, it was always kind of just, like, middle-of-the-road comedy. Because writing... An entire sketch show every week is just a nightmare, so you just end up shooting for the middle, because that's what you gotta do.
2: Right. It's it's hard for an actual writer's room, a fully staffed writer's room, to write a show a week, let alone the
0: one man who, <laughs> who creates all comedy. From which all comedy flows. We'll speak. We, I think we should talk about it, because yeah. we should talk about what he ends up writing for his cold open.
2: Oh wait, hang on. Before we get there, I do wanna. Uh, I wanted to. We mentioned this a, a while back now, and I, I had a note on it. I wanted to share, but like, we're talking about how this episode is doing a lot of legwork to try and establish Matt and Danny as characters, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it's doing that, but it's establishing them as total assholes. <laughs> uh, both of them, both of them are just like the like as as leaders they are awful Mm -hmm. they they both like keep walking into rooms of their employees and being like all right fuck you you have to do better than what you're doing i hate you i'm gonna fire you (laughs) fuck off and then walking out of the room it's like what the
0: fuck why are these people like this his conversation like matt's conversation with Harriet is like so awkward that I'm like, if I was her, I'd be I'd be like planning my exit already.
2: Oh yeah, and he's like no
1: HR in. uh, Yeah, he's
2: he's threatening to. Matt is threatening to like basically bench Harriet if she like complains about him uh, having a relationship with people. Like, it's it's awful.
0: Yeah, it's but yeah, it's you're right. They're just they're total assholes to everyone all the time, which again, like I like, know that that's makes for good TV. I watched House too, but at least everyone on House is like, yeah, House is an asshole.
2: Yeah, like the whole the whole plot with DL Hughley and Bradley Whitford like gets started because Bradley Whitford just walks up to all the actors and is like, "Hey, I bet you've been wondering if we were gonna fire you. No? Well, start wondering if we're gonna fire you."
1: <laughs> like what the fuck dude and then there's the whole I mean part of the D.L. Hughley subplot is that he doesn't like or that Danny didn't tell the cast and crew that he was doing that he failed the drug test and was therefore doing the show but he announces it at the press conference at the beginning Mm -hmm. and so D.L. Hughley feels like he's slumming And so, that feels like other people should have been upset about it, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. And that's got some weird optics to it. Well, outside of... I believe this is also the only time we hear about D.L. Hewley going to Yale Drama School, which, and competing with Jamie Foxx for roles in the late 90s. Like, it's very weird that they're like positioning him as this failed black movie star.
0: Yeah, I don't know too much about DL Hewley's actual career, so I don't know if that's like meta commentary. If it is, it's kind of mean. Yeah, I think I think he's just a stand-up comic. I feel like he had a TV show um, on that I never watched. I don't know. I'm going to look this up now. Let's
1: see here. But I mean, Yale Drama School, is that even a thing?
0: It's got to be a thing. Um
2: yeah, it's It's gotta be a thing, because again, that's like another, like, it's another Sorkin being a weird coastal elitist, is that he's gotta, like, put this thing, like, you know, that this is a, like, one of the ways that he introduces this character as being worthwhile is, like, well, I went to Yale, so you know I'm a real person.
1: Two thousand six Yale also was infamous for just being um, Bush's alma mater. And so I just I remember I was reading a Vonnegut at the time and they made it he made a joke about Yale and he was like, Yeah, it's plantation owners tech <laughs> and I was like, Holy shit, I used that yeah. in school like two days later. But yeah, no, DL Huey <laughs> was a gang member in the Bloods. And he got his GED and found a job at the L.A. Times. So no, he did not go to Yale Drama. I mean, in fact, I think they switch it to his actual backstory going forward. He, he was apparently
0: a big enough in the series. a big enough uh, star that he had a self titled sitcom for like four years there.
1: Oh yeah, he huh. had a. I ran into him in the late '90s because of his stand up. Yeah.
0: Is he funny? Well, he like, like Like is he actually a good stand-up comic? I've I've never watched anything he's done. He
1: was. I mean, I think it's hard because he's aged really poorly and he's mm. problematic as hell. So, it's like Oh boy. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I I, I thought DL Hewley was great and I was really happy to see him on the show, but now it's just kind of like
0: eh. Yike. So he's, so he's, in other words, he's very similar to, uh, Chappelle, in that he's...
1: Without a, what, $100 million deal he walked away from?
0: Yeah. I don't know, I haven't gone, I haven't gone back and watched the Chappelle show basically since I was, like, 20, and I'm just terrified, uh, given what Chappelle is out there doing now, I'm just terrified to go back and watch it. It's the same feeling I have towards Father Ted, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You
1: know,
0: like, yeah. Uh. Anyway, we should we should talk about the cold open they write, the cold open that the show which decides what's cool writes. Cause you know, yes. Because you know what? At long last, the, the titular cold open. Because you know what kids in 2006 are really into. Gilbert and well, Sullivan. Well, it's the
2: greatest frat comedy of all. <laughs>
1: Yes.
0: That's not even remotely uh, I, true. I,
2: I just had to, um, I, I just have that line in my notes, just underlined.
1: Look, look, I'm... I've... Just imagine that everybody in that room had to pretend to know what the hell he was talking
0: about. <laughs> look, I, I'm, I've never claimed to be cool for a moment. I have, when I was in high school, I had CDs of both Tom Lehrer and Gilbert and Sullivan. So, you know what? I get it. I love Gilbert and Sullivan, but they're not cool. They're not... They've never... They haven't been cool since they were new. I'm sorry.
1: I mean, there is also that whole idea that... I mean, you you mentioned it before, the idea that SNL is, like, a a style trendsetter. Like... No, this is, you know, the TV version of it where the worst-looking person associated with it is going to be Bradley Whitford like it's true everybody's TV good-looking if not better and you know they're all sincere none of them are um, sarcastic or coked up of course not (laughs) couldn't get bonded Uh, yeah it's it's just the other one that the other thing and then I'll I'll get to the um I'll stop stopping us from getting to the song, but when Harriet tells him that he's supposed to go to the strip clubs and, and date those women, I was just like, hmm. It's, it's a very woke Harriet. Like, it's it's kind of terrible. <laughs> like, you, you snooty Christian evangelical. Like yeah,
0: she's She's written so inconsistently about the Christian thing. I don't know. I mean I guess there is
1: is that what is that how inconsistent Christian showing words really are? That's the thing, like
0: I feel like there is something cogent there, but the show is too condescending to take her seriously. I mean that to evangelicals, like it is too condescending to evangelicals to make that a serious point. I'm not saying they have to not be in order to like how do I frame this? So in order to make a serious point about this, you have to stop. You have to take them at least kind of seriously. That doesn't mean you have to like think they're good people for being evangelicals. Like saved is a really good example of what I'm talking about here, because it recognizes that they're hypocrites, yeah. but it does take them seriously.
2: Yeah, I I I I get what you're what you're saying, and I agree. Where it's like, what what is shown in this show? Like these characters are just such like preposterous straw men of the actual like actual evangelicals that it's like it of course like of course they look like idiots they're preposterous straw men mm-hmm. like it, this isn't like they he, he doesn't care enough about his like it's like he doesn't care enough about his subjects to actually like want to make a real argument against them if that makes sense. He
1: also can't. So, yeah. <laughs> like, they're not, you know, NBC's not going to let him have, you know, uh, some real talk about this. Like, yeah. the scene where she says her mom told him, if Jesus is your co pilot, like, get a different plane or something. I'm like, that's eh, nonsense. Like, I don't buy that for a second. Like, but. I'm getting ahead because I watched ahead, so there's more no, with Harry. No, she says
0: but she says that in this episode. Like she's like I don't recall what the context was.
1: Yeah, but that is a
0: line from this episode. Like,
1: yeah, it's when she's saying how she can be Christian but okay with his writing or something. But yeah, I mean, it's some of it too is you know it is the second episode. There was nowhere near this amount of characterization on. Um, West Wing at this point, like it was half the season before we learned anything about most of those characters it feels like they're shoehorning it in.
0: Yeah, I do think that like for unless you have a really solid idea of what your show is going to be, which can be, as we learned with Game of Thrones like like a year or so ago, a hindrance um, I feel like a lot of character TV writing for characters is going to be writing the character and then like backfilling plot to make you understand them so
2: yeah i mean like in go ahead go ahead like in terms of the plot there just isn't a lot of there there it's like uh you know they they have to write an episode and then
0: they write an episode uh they gotta like yeah i don't know they gotta fill that time somehow I don't know what it is like the stakes in this episode feel so low and I don't know why that is. I think I mean, part of that is. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, Go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to see if I disagree with you. I think part of the reason the stakes feel so low in this episode is that, or at least, you know, for me anyway, every time they tried to raise the stakes, it just left me like rolling my eyes. Like, so there's like the bit at the beginning when they're in the uh, the press conference and uh, Jordan says, well, you know, we're going to we're going to show we're going to show you crazy Christians this week and it's going to be the best thing you've ever seen. And then uh, Matt and Danny are freaking out because like, you, you just told these reporters that our show was going to be good. Now we have to write a good show. And it's like, oh, wait, what? How did like did you? Did you think you'd, like, firstly, uh, who cares what was said in this dumb press conference that wouldn't ever happen in reality? Uh, And secondly, did you think that you didn't have to write a good show before? Like, what? And then, like, every time that something happens where they're like, oh, I promise you, I'm going to write the best show ever. It's just like, it's that same sort of thing where it's like, wait, what? Why, what? Why do we care? They just do such a bad job of raising the stakes on this that it just, I don't know.
1: Some of it just is there aren't any stakes. Like, that's what 30 Rock got right. Like, you can't make, I've never seen Sports Night, so I don't know if it was better at this. But, like, worrying about what a bunch of, you know, incredibly wealthy people. Mm Mm-hmm who are working because of their ego. It's just like...
2: Yeah, like... the Well, the, the stakes in 30 Rock are the right stakes, which is that if they... Like, if the show isn't good enough, then they will get cancelled. So they just have, like... In 30 Rock, they just need to make a show that is, like, the minimal viable product. Whereas in... Uh, Studio 60, it's like, we have to make the the pinnacle of culture. It's like, those are two very different things, and uh, right. one of them is dumb, and one of them is good.
0: Right, and that's that sort of thing, like, I feel like the... I, I mentioned this earlier with the with the D.L. Hewley thing, like, if they wanted to talk about the way SNL, in, like, TV in general, but SNL in particular, treats black actors, they have to put some teeth In it, they have to be kind of nasty Mm -hmm. to SNL, and this show is way too reverent of SNL to ever be that mean.
1: There's the line where they suck up to Lauren Michaels. Oh, like Lauren Michaels sucks. Lauren Michaels is a (laughs) terrible person. What are you talking about? Like, even if he isn't a terrible person, what's the best thing he had anything to do with? Wayne's World. Like, that's it. Uh,
0: yeah. That's like. As much as I love 30 Rock, 30 Rock is only very occasionally good satire, but at least it understands itself well enough that if we're going to make fun of SNL, like, if we're going to satirize it, we have to be, we have to portray it as kind of shitty. Yeah.
1: Right. Like, as opposed to the distinguished competition. And in the press conference, and then I promise we'll talk about the song. (laughs) No, I don't want to talk about the song uh, either.
2: I don't know. Yeah.
1: So the fictional network thing, like d- did they not put any work into thinking about this? Like it's a fifth network that, and I think I talked about it last time because it is really just sticking in my craw that seems to have like launched at about the same time as Fox
3: mm-hmm.
1: and is like the classy Fox. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Like they really needed the, uh, I don't know. They need make it make some kind of sense other than like if Ted Turner somehow got on the dial instead of on cable
0: yeah I don't know like I think that there is uh, you, you mentioned earlier uh, Ryan that 30 Rock's whole deal is that the show was constantly on the edge of being cancelled and I think that that I think that that was true for 30 Rock itself and I think that informed the way they wrote co- their comedy I think that that was sort of like I think, I think if you went back in time to like the day before Studio 60 got canceled, and told Aaron Sorkin your show's about to be canceled, he wouldn't believe you. And I think that informed the way they were writing it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no. Like he, that, I mean, that sounds right. Because how much did they spend on that set? Like oh,
0: a lot. It was. I I haven't been able to dig too much out of it because no one really wants to talk about Studio 60. <laughs> Except like the 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 DVD extras I have are very sparse, but uh, from what I've heard, it was incredibly expensive.
1: Yeah, it was like thirty million or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, here we go. Post Gazette um, built at a cost of several million dollars. It took up thirty two thousand square feet. Sweet Jesus.
2: Yeah, I mean it. Like it. It does seem to actually. Be a theater that they built. Like, you see, they're they're shooting the like Danny's o- or Matt's office and the stage area. Like, you get several shots of that area where, the, like, the the balcony offices overlooking the main stage and audience seating area. Like that is a full physical place that they built out that's not like just sets cuz you you see it enough from enough angles that there's like okay they built that yeah
0: that the word for that is hubris
2: yeah they they win and they built themselves a theater especially when you look at maybe it sorry is that why all the characters keep talking about how it's a great theater because yes. they needed to justify that they
0: spent all the <laughs> money on this big set Yep. but if you look at other successful sitcoms <laughs> of this particular era of tv like you know we mentioned 30 rock 30 rock was just shooting shooting in 30 rockefeller plaza the office was just shooting in some office building they they rented the office was around this point right
1: yeah um
0: uh, i i'm not a huge fan of the office it, so it,
1: or a year later but around yeah this
0: point. You know, was about, S- scrubs was just shooting this in about some, office time was just shooting in some decommissioned teaching hospital like they were just using sets that were available to have to decide to just build your own set was like I don't know maybe Aaron Sorkin had a forevision of peak TV and decided he was going to get a jump on it
1: I think it's I think they're just you know they were so sure that they'd be able to sell him to the right audience that uh, they gave him whatever he wanted yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I mean like if if it had been another west wing like it, it would have been uh like it would have
1: been a winning gamble.
0: But Yeah, I mean the the west wing sets were supposedly quite expensive too. Um but west wing was easy
1: But I feel like they built that up. Like
0: Yeah, the, definitely. the west
1: wing both in terms of scope and like the characters like that wasn't always in in his mind at the beginning. When The West Wing started, it was about Moira Kelly and Rob Love.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and then they got rid of him because he didn't want to write uh, act. He didn't want to write leftists, so he replaced them <laughs> with the terrible neoliberals. But that's
0: another podcast entirely. <laughs> I've never watched The West Wing. Okay, that's a lie. I've seen like I I think I mentioned this early in the last episode. I've I've seen like two episodes during like screenwriting classes. I don't I get I get we get down on Aaron Sorkin for all of his characters sounding like him, but a lot of writers do that, you know. Quentin Tarantino, all of his characters sound exactly like him. He's out there being Oscar nominated. And yeah. wasn't
1: it last episode that I gave somebody crap for um falling for jordan mcdears obviously stand in for aaron sorkin like the way he sees uh, himself yeah. i mean it is yeah, really it, just all aspects of his you know she's him um
3: it's danny's him
1: matt's him like it's a world. it's a, wor- just, it's a world know, of
0: like aaron said, sorkin's
1: it's, yeah. it's, it's herman's head with aaron sorkin like Sorkin Sorkin
0: Sorkin Sorkin, Sorkin but what Sorkin. they should
1: have done was have it be about making a show set in the White House and people <laughs> giving the writer shit and him like plotting against them or something
2: Yeah it's just uh, it's it's about the him writing a show in the White House and then it's just him reading it's just the scene where the uh where the one guy reads the blog <laughs> review so it's just the aaron sorkin stand in reading a blog review and getting pissed about it again and again and again
1: do you guys remember when he started writing the social network and he got either on facebook or twitter and he was like hi my name's aaron sorkin and i'd like everybody to help me understand social networking
0: i don't oh, no. i don't recall that at
1: all that was a thing he did yeah he did that He's like, I'm writing this movie about Facebook, and I need to understand this. Explain it to me.
0: Which I, whenever, whenever yeah. some celebrity or like company does something like that, my response is, "That's nice. Pay me. You want me to do market yeah. research for you? Pay me."
1: Okay, so let's talk about the song a little. We've been we've been teasing. Yeah, we like. So it's
0: so it's a re we, it's a rewrite of Modern Major General from is that I think that's Pirates of Penzance. I think it's Penzance, yeah. Um, It's from a Gilbert and Sullivan. It's like their most famous song. Um, It's a rewrite of that about being like a good TV show, and it is physically painful to watch.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It, like, I think what, what, the worst part of it is that it almost for a second it seems like it's almost going to work mm-hmm. like the whole conversation leading up to it is of course like just dumb garbage where they're like ah Gilbert and Sullivan is the greatest frat comedy like okay that's the, like that's that's dumb
0: the epic swell that's of mu- dumb the epic swell of music when they decide they're gonna do this song is the funniest joke in this episode
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh I actually actually have in my notes the funniest joke in the episode is the um the Groucho Marx uh, quote on the clock, <laughs> which is the uh, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana.
1: It's just that is very funny. We need to talk about the clock too. But uh... oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the the song. I was like, if this actually went somewhere, they'd be fine. But it goes the the furthest it goes is the choir making a joke about. $10 hookers, and it's just like, hmm.
0: I guess that I could say that theoretically it's an okay setup for a joke. Um, you know, people doing modern major general variants are is pretty... is a pretty old thing to do, you know. But it, the th- problem with a lot of comedy songs is that the joke doesn't escalate, and this really has that problem.
2: Yeah. And it, it, it actually... I think it de escalates. Like, the so the the first verse is they're singing about uh, daddy getting caught doing cocaine, which is like that. Nope. If any of it works, that part works. I, I, so I got a chuckle. Hope you don't mind? Our producer was caught doing blow. Like, it's a good, yeah. especially like you know with the like the way that he just sort of like blurted it out at the press conference, and then he's like. He's trying to make it not a big deal. Like, it kind it works as, like, a... Just, like, a funny way of him just, like, you know... He throws it out there and is trying to defuse it. And that, you know, that makes sense. But then, like, everything else they say is just, like, dumb nonsense. That, like, why would anyone care about that? Mm-hmm.
1: They really drum like, up the idea that the show's in some kind of trouble... When... It's not. Like, not even talking about the stakes of this episode but this idea that they're gonna majorly shake up a comedy show that airs at eleven thirty on fridays and doesn't get great ratings or whatever and the they talk about the advertisers and the advertising's built in because half of it is movie ads mm-hmm. for new movies so it's just like it's it's a safe show too like it's it's like he didn't think just the concept of doing this with the snl type show it just doesn't work for the things he wants to do or the things he wants to have built in
0: yeah there's a pretty lengthy subplot um about how rapture magazine a plus um is just is like getting people to like pull their local affiliates like pull it off their local affiliates and like get um companies to pull their sponsorship and that's okay that's stakes there we have some stakes and then at the end of the episode Jordan's like oh yeah when they when those advertisers come back we'll charge them more and therefore we'll make even more money it's like oh those are some nice stakes we had for a minute there
1: Thanks. Yeah, like- yeah we skipped through all that that all happens on the days we don't see
0: yeah they, they also yeah, they, they also mentioned that like they presented getting, at stakes. They also mentioned that they're like it's getting as stakes, but it's oh no, sorry.
2: We're we're, talk, <laughs> sorry, we're talking over go. each other. No, you go
0: first. Um Yeah. Okay. It's
2: presented as if it's stakes, but then it is never used as stakes, and it is immediately like just defused. That like, oh well, you know it turns out that we lost six markets, well, guess what? they're all coming back and they're all paying us for it I'm like oh okay I guess I guess that wasn't something to worry about yeah Thanks. and they
0: <laughs> they have this like undercurrent that some people are like getting harassed for like you know the 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 boss dude whose name escapes me he mentions like I've had to change my email twice and it's like oh you mean that you might show us that there are some like consequences if Danny or Matt go off half-cocked and, like, make an ass of themselves or offend someone for no reason. That would be interesting. That would, again, there's some stakes if they fuck up. People could get harassed. And, again, we don't see it. Yeah.
1: And then there's the um, protest at the end. There's, like, 300 people protesting the show, which seems a lot. Like
0: That's either really a lot or no one at all. Like, depending on the context.
1: Right. Like, and I mean, I guess 2006, this is before they realized million moms or whatever is like four people on Facebook. Like they didn't understand how this stuff worked yet, but you know, it's, it's, it's Sorkin wanting to drum up the idea of the, what is it? Flyover country division, but then yeah. not doing anything with it. Like, well, he wants to just,
2: like, I, I think that ultimately what he wants to do is to just dismiss it as something that you shouldn't even care about. So, like, and so that's what the show does, is that, you know, like, all these people are, all the network people are worried about the, you know, they're worried about Rapture Magazine and their huge following. And it turns out that the correct thing to do the whole time was to ignore these people because they're stupid. Like that's like, it, it yeah. seems like that's supposed to be the message is uh, ignore those people, they're stupid.
1: And then there's that conversation between Steven Weber and Amanda Peet right before the show starts where he tells her he, she's not gonna be able to win the fight against the Christian right. That it's going to be a losing fight, but she's like, I'm going to give them a fight anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know.
0: It's just. I mean, and, you know, I honestly think that if they'd gone more with the harassment campaign, that could have been interesting, especially since, like, this was 2006. This was before the internet turned being a person online into an unending nightmare. Um, right so that could be kind of prescient like yeah harassment campaigns absolutely happen now and they're awful and shut down the internet but he's he's not interested in it
1: well he's also not prescient is the other thing
0: what he had gotten yeah this is go on
1: sorry he's aaron Sorkin's. you know media futurism is bad like he does not see where the ball's going like
2: yeah, he's, he's writing a show about a, like, he's writing about a show that is already, like, two decades old. Like, it, it in order for a show to actually have had this much importance, like, this is, like, I mean, it's like the 70s or 80s, like, when there is no other, like, in order for a show to have ever been, to be... To ever have as much importance as he's trying to give, uh, Studio sixty, it needs to be like at a time when TV is the only form of entertainment. But that's already like in in two thousand six. That's already not true anymore. Like it's it's all like he's he is not prescient. He is not even able to like comprehend the current time. Mm-hmm. So of like of course he's not going to be able to. imagine what the future is he cannot imagine the present
0: yeah it's so it's such an odd place to end up like trying to treat snl as this like and it's it really is like i keep talking about studio 60 as if it's exactly like snl and i do want to make it clear to our like our supposed audience that like (laughs) it is it is so blatant 30 rock was less blatant about it being an snl analog and 30 Rock had Lorne Michaels on as a producer. Like, it was, it is so blatant. Like, they even have the announcer in this episode, too. Like, live from Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. like, Jesus, guys. <laughs> they do name drop Lorne yeah, Michaels it's... in this episode, too, which is very funny.
1: And it then, just... I don't know, just the not even having the host thing really. Wor- like, not mentioning Marky Mark, getting permission... To mention Marky Mark and then but not to convince him to show up that's weird
0: I mean they they got permission to mention the white stripes and the white stripes don't show up right yeah well that's a plot point as I recall
2: yeah they 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 have to drop out so they need to replace them with a a new musical guest which is how they end up writing
1: the the song
0: yeah yeah on the other hand do you really want Mark Wahlberg showing up to your set ever
1: can you imagine how painful that scene would have been? Yes. With Marky Mark telling Matthew Perry how great he is and then them saying whatever it took to get Marky Mark to agree. They were like, yeah, Shooter was like oh my the God. greatest action.
0: Oh my God, this was right around the time <laughs> Shooter came out. Oh my God. Oh man, that is a movie that I had completely memory hold until just this moment.
2: Well, the... the uh... The ads are built in. He wants to Marky Mark wants to be there
0: to push his new movie. Do you think? Do you think that they would they would keep the the scene where they have to talk up Marky Mark in uh, this hypothetical episode? Because I do remember reading this like interview where they said like Yeah, the reason that Home Alone two scene has Donald Trump in it is because every any time you want to shoot. In Trump Tower, he demands that he gets a cameo, and 99% of the time they just cut it because they don't care. (laughs) Which I don't know how true that is, but it's funny to me. That is funny.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I really love the idea of him like having a... his, His ego is too big that he won't not be in the... Like, he needs a cameo. But also his attention span is too short that he doesn't care
0: to follow up if it gets used. (laughs) That's that's Donald Trump in a nutshell, frankly. Yep. Uh, So, yeah, we end on the the song and then then, and then they go and they like have this really portentous shot of like the clock resetting, which means I suppose we should talk about the clock. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think that's the last thing to cover.
1: Why the hell do they keep the clock?
0: I wouldn't want that clock. I'd hate that clock. As a writer, I would smash right.
2: it. Yeah, it's like they so they come into the they come into the office and it's the uh, the old head writer's office, uh, the guy who um, uh, has his little network speech Judd at Hirsch. the beginning of the yeah, yeah Judd Hirsch's uh, who has his network speech at the beginning of the pilot. Mm-hmm. And the the one thing left in the office uh, when he cleared out is this countdown clock. That is counting down to the um, airing of the next episode. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that they say when they turn it on is, Well, no wonder he went crazy. Right, and that's it's like, the. That's yeah, the, get is, rid of it. That is genuinely
0: the truest line in the entire episode. It's like, Yes, that would drive me insane.
1: Yeah, it like. It makes no sense to keep it. A, a, like, constant
2: reminder of this, like, sword of Damocles just, like, hanging over your head. Yeah, it's it's going to drive you insane. Get rid of it. <laughs> but but it does it does allow for one of my another one of the jokes that I think actually works in the episode, which is the very last shot where it's it you know they they show the song and then it pans up to Matt and he's sitting in his office and then it just sort of like you see the clock in the background and it's reset and it's counting down again. <laughs> it's just like Oh, fuck. You gotta do it again. Which is...
0: Oh, no, there's another cage attack coming. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think that's... But, I, I think it works as a joke. There are jokes that land. Like, the the cast is quite talented. Yeah.
1: I d- but with the clock and how mean Danny was to the actors, it almost seems like he's being mean to Matt, too. <laughs> like he's like, I'm gonna torture oh,
2: yeah. you too like, <laughs> you you have to keep this clock here it's it's important that you know that you're always
0: running out of time every single day i'm going to sneak into your office and turn the ticking volume up just a little bit till by the end of the like the third week it's like tick 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 actually that sounds like a really good way to torture someone i gotta write that down
2: <laughs> uh, well yeah so they they have the like the joke when they turn it on that like Matt's confused about how it how it knew how much time what there was until the, the episode aired. It's like, well, maybe it's just like Danny snuck in earlier and said it. Like it's <laughs> just just well, Danny fucking amazing. with him the whole time. This is much, this is a much better version of the show we're writing. I was, I was you, like,
0: much like how season eight of the X Files becomes a lot better if you assume Robert Patrick's character is the T1000 biding his time. This sounds like a much better version of Studio 60. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just... It wasn't even Wes's clock. Daddy headed yeah. to the studio. To... <laughs>
0: uh, I think that's a good note to to end the episode on. Yeah, we've we're uh, we're almost at an hour and a half. So we're we've once again uh, recorded an episode much longer than almost twice as long as the episode itself. So <laughs> yeah, we'll be back sometime, hopefully before the end of May, with another uh, Studio sixty review. But I don't want to get us locked into a schedule until finals are over.
2: Yeah, do we do we know what the next episode is? Uh, the, at least the title.
1: The West Coast Delay, I believe. No, The Focus
0: Group is the next episode.
1: Ooh. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh, Incident.
0: Incidentally, I might have to start opening these reviews, these like episodes with reading off the episode descriptions of from the DVD set I have because they are kind of hilariously bad. Let me see if I can Ooh. Yeah, I know it's too far away. I'm, I'm. I'll get unplugged from my mic to go grab it.
2: <laughs> it's a, it's a good plan. That that will give us a. The, give, okay. give us more the of DVD a structure to work out, in,
1: too. Yeah, the DVD release in general was just to get us suckers. Like, when I bought the DVD, I was just like, oh yeah,
0: they got me. Okay, so these the description for the second episode, the plot description on. The DVD set is No Sweat Fellas Just be sure your first show Just five days away Is a smash Plus Jordan won't kill A controversial sketch They're all like this By the way The the description of the next episode Is Life in a glass house Jordan's DUI surfaces And focus group data Are in Parentheses Don't tell Matt (laughs) Silence Just like What's going on
1: I'm trying to pick. Like, th- did Aaron Sorkin's ex-girlfriend write that? <laughs> <She's just> like, <laughs> I'm gonna ruin it. I'm just gonna screw with him. He's gonna know this is out there, and you know. This this reminds me. Uh, Forty thousand homes. That's
2: a lot. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was uh, the. I think it was on Hulu. There was the. They had the descriptions for the. Uh, Star Trek Next Generation episodes were uh, possibly even worse than those where they'd be like it would be just a like sentence description of like the first two scenes so it would be like in this episode Mr. Worf gets in an elevator with Data and Captain Picard is on the bridge <laughs> it's like what?
0: <laughs> I mean that last part should be true for a lot of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which
2: I I feel like the I don't know. This is definitely of that like similar vein of we're going to tell you what happens without being like trying to just have the emptiest possible descriptions.
0: I wonder, does this thing have like the promos? I love watching old promos. My my X Files box set has all the old promos for all the episodes, and they are occasionally really good. No. Oh man, these I don't think there's anything on there, unfortunately. Yeah, the pilot episode commentary by Aaron Sorkin and Thomas Schlamy. I don't know how to pronounce that.
2: It's it's Thomas Schlamis. It's either Tommy
0: Slamy or Thomas Schlamis. And in depth The Evolution of Studio Sixties. That is literally all the bonus features it has.
1: I think that audio commentary I think they released the pilot as a DVD. Woof. Like as a promo DVD and that might have been from that like there was something weird about the pilot like that that there was like a DVD
0: yeah I don't know if that's such a good like maybe that made more I don't, this isn't available for free streaming anywhere right like I didn't buy this for no reason but
2: I don't know if it's legal but if you put it into YouTube
0: not yes, for free yeah that, that was my because like I was saying this to someone about another movie about Ron, which I just got on the Criterion collection of a few days ago, and like I was saying, like at this point in media history, if you're selling a DVD, you want to put in as many special features as you can because that's why people are buying them.
2: Yeah, nobody is like. But
0: yeah, I guess no one's clamoring if for it's a,
2: a. Studio sixty. No, no one,
1: no one. Clamoring there's,
2: exactly. Yeah, there's, there's not a, there's not a, a, a pirate market for
0: uh, Studio sixty. Well, there's us, and I think that's a good. I think we should call it there. So, uh, oh yeah, just, we should
2: we should have called it uh, an episode a while
0: ago. But yeah, <laughs> all right, we'll be back sometime soon with uh, focus group. I'll see you eventually. Wait, wait, read the
1: description again, so we can. No, <laughs> think about it. We can exit on the descript uh, the teaser. Okay. Really? Oh
2: yeah, we'll, we'll spend all, all week or however long just meditating on the th- on the on uh, teaser. Alright, I'll
0: end us on the teaser again, on the description on the DVD. Life in a glass house, Jordan's DUI services, and focus group data are in. Parentheses, don't tell Matt. Shouldn't that be focus group data is in? Eh. Uh, yes. yes. yes it
1: would. Uh, data is they go between is and are. It, it's a Pedantic argument. Pedantry. Yeah, I, I'd say
0: it. All right, see you next time. We'll be the very model of a modern network TV show each time that we walk into this august and famous studio. We're starting out from scratch after a run of 20 years, and so we hope that you don't mind that our producer was got
3: doing well.